Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello and welcome to this episode 15, season two of This Spiritual Fix. Today we are finally talking to our amazing shaman, Robbie Hocheck. Enjoy the interview we did. This Spiritual Fix, Two Mystical Mamas Hacking the Self-Help Game with Anna Stromquist and Christina Wiltsey. Hey, Anna. Hey, Christina. Hi, Robbie. Hi. We have a special guest here today, our shaman, Robbie Hocheck. 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 Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've known you for 10 years and I've been saying her name wrong. That's okay. <laughs> We are so excited to have you here today, Robbie. Thank on you. this rainy evening, we are in the middle of our Wild Woman Weekend. Very exciting. Do you want to tell us about what our Wild Does any Anna, Robbie, Robbie, um, Anna? The Wild Woman Weekend, we get together every well, with the pandemic it was different, but every every 4 to 6 months we get together. We do two nights in the Georgia mountains on a lake and we just let Robbie be awesome. <laughs> we all we just get together. We do our wild woman stuff. It can be anything. Yeah. So we'll we do some holotropic breathing. We did that today. That mm -hmm. is something that we'll be talking about a little bit later. We have good conversations in which we are able to completely let loose. But like we just went to dinner and had a lot of fun at dinner. I thought I, I had a lot of fun at dinner. Dinner was great. Yes. <laughs> Lots of fun conversations and then we, we tend to get on a frequency in which it makes other people a little bit confounded when they talk to us. <laughs> a little bit confused, a little bit weird. I have a tendency to be a bit goofy anyway when I like... You want to explain that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the way... We always go to the same restaurant because we always go to the same town whenever we have this Wild Woman weekend. And we always usually have a waiter who we're able to somehow charm in one way or another. Either we've talked about aliens with our waiters in the past, we've talked about Old conspiracy visions. things, yeah. angel visions, we've we've had a lot, and, and these waiters, they're always kind of the same waiters. Like we either have the same, we've had the same waiters multiple times, even if we're only seeing each other a month, I, excuse me, a year apart. And tonight, what was what was our waiter doing? Why don't you explain what our waiter was doing? Well, I think that because we'd been doing holotropic breathing right before we got there, we had created a morphogenic field that was really high vibrating. 
And so when he would step into that field, he would become discombobulated. He would forget the check. He would forget the order. He was flustered, yeah. Yeah, he became very flustered. I would love, Anna, can you describe kind of the first time that you ever... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Met Robbie? Yeah. All right, so to give a little background of, of, of coming to know Robbie... I met Robbie at a dinner party maybe 10 or 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. I think it was 2009. You weren't even married I yet. I wasn't even married. I think it was 2009. Yeah. And we met at a dinner party among mutual friends, and we asked Robbie what she did for a living, and she said, oh, I'm a shaman. And my husband and I were like, awesome, we're going to book a session. Like We were like <laughs> totally interested in it, and she, I remember her saying, well, usually I don't tell people what I really do, and, and you know, like I, I usually kind of keep it on the DL but we were extremely interested. We had a session with her. We both did at separate times. And I was hooked because I discovered that in a one hour session with Robbie, I could get more out of that than I could in like a year of traditional psychotherapy. For example, I was working on a certain issue. I was getting kind of nowhere in psychotherapy after spending how many days or hours in a year had gone by. And we had one session and you had me had me imagine living my life through the through the lens of this person that I had a conflict with and I saw my their life in their way and it made me very empathetic and I suddenly completely forgave this person and everything from there on out got better with that person so that was awesome and then I wanted to give a little bit of a, a little I'm a, I'm a scientist at heart so I'm going to give a little bit of a double blind case study here when my son was born I had postpartum anxiety which for anyone who has had children or hasn't had children, you've heard of postpartum depression. Well, I didn't know you can also have postpartum anxiety where just your hormones are just out of whack and I was experiencing a lot of anxiety and fear just regarding my kids and you know my, my own abilities as a mom, et cetera. And I just didn't feel myself. I just kept being like, I don't feel like I am myself. Like the happy-go-lucky Anna is not here. Like I need help. So I had a session with Robbie. She said, you know what, you've got some energy blockages on you, which she calls implants. She said, I'm gonna work on them and I'll get back to you in a few weeks. Well, it was like a Saturday morning and I feel Robbie's presence on me. And I say to my husband, I'm like, Eric, Eric, Robbie's working on me, I know it, I know it. And he wanting to be a little bit of a scientist too was like, oh really? Okay, it's 10 o'clock on Saturday morning. Where do you feel her working on you? I'm like, oh, she's on the base of my spine and she's pulling something off. And he's like, well, what does it feel like? I'm like, it feels like an octopus, an upside down octopus and she's peeling it off of me. And he's like, okay, Saturday, 10 a.m. She's peeling an octopus energy thing off your back. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what it feels like. Fast forward a Monday, I get an email from Robbie and she's like, good morning, Anna. I was working on you on Saturday, and then you want to say what you did? I, excuse me, I found an implant, which is a negative energy signature at the base of her spine, which looked like an inverted octopus. You said squid in the email, but still, still. You're off by cephalopod. Yeah. Dark tentacles (laughs) Tentacles. wrapped around your spine. And that's exactly what I felt. Mm And that was like, that was great validation to me that this work is real because of all animals of all times and of all locations on my body, you got it right. It was all congruent. So I was, and I felt better after that. I felt myself okay. again. So thanks. Yay. Yeah. 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 Always. yeah. Yeah. Do you want to share one of your Robbie aha moments? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I loved the first time I ever met you, we did a sweat 
in an infrared sauna together, the three of us did. That's right. And we were singing all the songs, like the Hildegard songs, Mm -hmm. like the earth, the air, the fire, the water. Like, I just loved it. It was such an amazing experience with the three of us. And I remember you saying at the time that you, you, you had some sort of premonition that we would work together in the future, mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing because obviously, like the three of you us, you were leaving. You were. Leaving I was leaving. Yeah, yeah, I was. Gonna, I was moving. You were. You weren't even married yet, right? Yeah, I was still with my Kiwi partner when I first met you. Yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't leaving. I was definitely like something was happening. Anyway, it was pretty amazing that we had that experience together in that sweat lodge, and then here we are, ten years later, and you know we're having these wild woman weekends and like having kind of a similar experience, which I think is absolutely incredible. But my aha moment it came right after I had my daughter, which was my first child, and I went through postpartum psychosis, almost psychosis, which is basically postpartum anxiety and depression to to the nth degree, like. I couldn't go to sleep because I was having panic attacks. I thought I was going to die in my sleep. I was having massive intrusive thoughts. I was unable to, my brain was continually flipping is what I call it. Like basically the polarity was flipping and I would start going into a panic for basically no reason at all. And I remember I was, I was suffering with this for like a month or two at least. And I was like, you should just call Robbie. And I was like, no, duh, I should just call Robbie. Like, what, that's so obvious. Like, it's like, who's the person that, I mean, like, I'd have been having a lot of help from a lot of different people, but I was like, no, Robbie's, Robbie's the one who can help me with this. And I called you and I talked to you. Do you remember the conversation mm-hmm. we had? I yeah. do, yeah. Yeah? I probably sounded pretty, pretty. Desperate. Yeah, desperate's a good word. Yeah. 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 In and need of help. In need of help. And I remember that you told me that you were gonna work on a Saturday mm-hmm. and on me on a Saturday morning and that morning I I think I had forgotten that you were like on the Saturday morning I had forgotten and I literally got in the worst mood I could I had ever been in. Like it was just up there with one of the worst moods. I was just like lashing out. I was angry. I was yelling. I was like it was just so so bad. And then that afternoon, I went to I went to work, and Anna reminded me of the story. I worked at the library at the time, the local library, and a child was taken from the library. And your major psychosis or, or fear was that you would lose my child lose or child. that I wouldn't be around my child. So it was like this: all these things were being reflected. And then when when Robbie and I talked the next time, she was like, "Oh yeah, that's when I was doing your work." And do you remember yeah. what you told me uh-uh. was wrong? You, she told me that I had a smorgasbord. You, I think you use like a buffet line or smorgasbord. You use that terminology of ghosts feeding off my energy system. Because when you gave birth, you opened a portal. Right. Yeah. yeah. And all of them, all the, that first chakra the ghosts of lost mm-hmm. mothers or something had just attached to you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was in a situation where it was painful to lose the ghosts. But after I lost them, I felt so much better. And yeah. I stopped flipping and I stopped having the intrusive thoughts. Like I stopped so much of the, of the really bad stuff. Wasn't even yours. What, no, it so, wasn't mine at all. So when we give birth, we open a portal and then, but how can someone protect themselves from that happening? You can, you can ask for the angels if you believe in angels, if you believe in guides, if you, you can pray to God, you can pray to Before spirit. Before I get drunk or drink alcohol, I always give it to God. I'm like, God, protect me. I should have done that when I went into labor, right? Yeah. But <laughs> our culture doesn't teach women that that is a very sacred time where you're wide open. Your first chakra is wide open. 
and it's open because there's a baby coming, but it's also open to other others who have who don't have they don't have good things planned for you. Right. I mean, taking a child across the veil is like holy shit, right? Like it really is, and it, it's no wonder that you can bring other things back through. There. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I I've been in the birthing room and actually seen as the mother was laying on the table giving birth and then her mother and I were standing around her and I'd been praying, I'd been calling in the angels and I didn't know her mother had been doing the same thing. And so I had my head down and I'm praying and she nudges me and she said, can you see that? I opened my eyes and I'm watching beams of light start coming down around the mother. Oh my gosh. Portals of light opened up and these light beams all surrounded in a complete circle around the mother. And that was because we'd been praying for those angels to come. And they came and they protected the mother while she gave birth. Wow. I needed that. <laughs> but our it's culture beautiful. doesn't teach us that. Right. Yeah. Right. So, where are we covering today? We're covering the top five things we want Robbie to talk about. The top five things that both Anna and I have learned. And then any other wisdom that she wished to share with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These yeah. are the top five things we've learned from our shaman yeah. over the last 10, 12 years. So, okay, I'll start with the first thing. The first lesson that Robbie taught me that had a huge impact on my life was the belief that we have no enemies and that everyone here is secretly here on, like, for hire. If you want to explain that in more detail, Robbie? Sure. So, my belief, what I've seen through hypnosis, my own hypnosis, is that before we come into this lifetime, we have a grand plan that we look at. So, for instance, I wanted to work on becoming more evolved. And so I would hire people, quote unquote hire them, to come into my lifetime to give me lessons that would teach me about becoming evolved. Or, and I, when I was, before I started studying shamanic practice, I would look at these people and say, why are they so mean? Why are they so terrible? And I came to learn that they're not mean and terrible. I had asked them to be that so that I could learn my lessons. So in effect, they were actually, I had hired them to be a petty tyrant and do for me what I needed to do Mm -hmm. so that I could learn the lesson. And then if you, so for instance, if you have a sister or a mother or a brother that's particularly difficult, you ask them to be in your life so that you could learn the lesson. And you were very serious about learning the lesson because you came into the family with them. So if you look at your problem and instead of looking at the problem as that person's a jerk or that person's a really difficult person, if you take the kaleidoscope and you turn it a little bit and say, what is it that they're trying to teach me? How can I gain wisdom? How can I become a better person out of this experience? It shifts it so that you realize you hired this person to teach you that right. lesson. And, and they're then, actually doing what you've asked them to do. And I've heard you many times be like, wow, you hired a great actor, Anna. Yeah. <laughs> they're really pulling off that asshole role so you can learn you know, X, Y, and Z. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of Ram Das, also that spiritual teacher. I think you were telling me that on his altar he had his pictures of his gurus, but then he'd also have a picture of Richard Nixon or like whoever who was most irking him to just remind himself, exactly. like, my quote-unquote enemies are also my greatest gurus, and I hired them. They're your greatest teachers. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we hire light teachers, like Ram Das, or sometimes we hire shadow teachers, people who are the most miserable, horrible, ugly people to us, so that they're pushing our buttons so that we can learn we, to overcome that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because our triggers are gifts to show us where exactly. we need to heal. Our triggers or the cracks in us or the place where the light comes in. 
that's the gold. That's where the place where the real learning is. And so to embrace those places that you're not fulfilled where you're not evolved, that's where the real work is. Yeah. Yeah, and I love I, multiple times this weekend you've told me that I need to just click my kaleidoscope. A couple of right. clicks, right? A couple of clicks to the right. So when I say that, when I say you're looking through your kaleidoscope, what I mean is that you have a certain mindset about a particular issue. And that if you take that kaleidoscope and you click it just a little bit, you, sh you shape shift the viewfinder, then what you're looking at shifts. And the possibilities and the potential of what you can do with that problem is completely shifted. So it gives you room to be able to maneuver and see it in a different way so that you can look at it as a growth opportunity rather than as a huge challenge that you're never going to get rid of. Right. I, I know a teacher of ours, he says, if you believe that you have a block, then you do. But Wayne Dyer says, change the way you look at things and the things you look at change. Exactly. Right. Right. So that's the kaleidoscope metaphor mm -hmm. that we've been using. I like that. Yeah. 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 And as Eric would say, life, uh, the whole, I hired the enemy serve me is it goes to what my husband often tells me which is you know life is happening for you not to you exactly right yeah we're not victims nobody's a victim right yes and 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 for those who've just listened to the drama triangle Robbie was the original person who introduced me to the drama triangle which then allowed all of that entire series to happen so yeah yeah yes once again Robbie our mentor okay what about you Chris you want to do number two of the things we've learned yes. from I want you to talk about holotropic breathing. <sighs> okay, that's a big subject. Well, okay, so I'll, I'll try and narrow it slightly. Okay. I, I would love to talk about it because I think of holotropic breathing as one of the best ways for me to process and heal stuff that's in my body. Mm -hmm. And I may come up with some, I may gain access to something that I didn't have access to before, but I usually go into a holotropic breathing session with an intention of something I already have awareness for and mm -hmm. I'm ready to release it. So what has holotropic breathing mean for you? How, how have you used it? I mean, if you, we've kind of discussed it briefly before. Um, yeah, it's in, like in other... spiritual or tools for processing. Yeah. We've talked about that. Yeah. So for me, I had, I'm so, so grateful in my journey. I've had some phenomenal breathing teachers and they've taught me that the body is a vessel and when you do the breath work, it is God or spirit or uh, divine essence coming into the body and you don't actually have to know what it is that you're worried about or what your problem is, that divine essence knows what it is that you need. And so all you have to do is surrender and begin to breathe. And it's that circular breathing you don't stop at the top, you don't stop at the bottom, you just continue to do the circular breathing. And in doing so, you open yourself spiritually, emotionally, physically to whatever divine essence needs to gift you with. And I've had some of my most intense and profound experiences of divine essence have been through the breathing process. Mm -hmm. It's taken me to past life regressions, it's taken me to a multitude of different dimensions, cosmic dimensions. and. Mo again, most of my growth has been through the breath work. Yeah, yeah. Very profound. It is in my in my toolkit. My feeling for myself is that the breathing is the bomb. That is the thing that's given me the most gifts. Wow, wow. And and if someone was interested in breathing, how would you recommend that they get into it? Probably get a coach to do it with a coach. It's very difficult to do it yourself because you don't know what you're doing, you don't know what to look for, and as you're breathing, you can't watch for the signs. It's best to have someone outside of you who's trained and hire them to work with you for a bit. And then after you've worked with them, maybe you can do it yourself. 
Yeah, yeah. So Anna, do you want to describe some of the experiences you've had while breathing? Well, episode one of season one, when I had a visitation from a monk who came and told me all about resistance and acceptance, that happened during a breathing session. Mm -hmm. I've had other breathing sessions where like a goddess visited me or La Llorona, which is this Mexican archetype of the wailing mother came and I just had different experiences. All of them ended up being really good. I remember once I had one where I was in the breathing session and I saw myself grow into like an enormous woman, like the size of a mountain. And I started breastfeeding every single like villain. It was like one by one, every single bad, quote unquote, bad person in history or whatever. I just started like they were all lined up and I nursed every single one of them and I looked at them as if they were my own child. Wow. And it was like this great experience of forgiving the quote unquote villain, you know, in yeah. history books. Whatever. Wow. Yeah, That's that profound. was that was in your that was in your It was in my office. That was in your office. Awesome. <laughs> There's a yeah. lot of magic that goes on in that office. Yeah, but yeah. That's a, an example. That was very profound for me. Yeah. Yeah, and and just to kind of give you guys some some what happens and please correct me if I'm wrong, Robbie, but my understanding of what happens is that when you get into a breathing state, it is it it basically changes the the blood chem the, the chemistry of your blood. It changes the oxygen levels and the oxygen saturation of your blood, which is a way to induce trance of some sort. So when Anna talks about going to a place, it it's basically you're doing work, you're doing physical work to get into a deep state in which you are then receptive to, you know, visual experiences, audio experiences, or maybe you're just feeling emotions. Like sometimes I've seen people, and obviously you've seen people, where they just start crying, mm-hmm. or they just or start laugh. having, a, or laughing, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. just have emotional relations. They don't see anything. Anna and I, <laughs> we're thrilling. <laughs> we're, we're frantic. <laughs> it would be tantric. Frantic breathers. Frantic yeah. breathers. Although, although today we had a session and in 30 seconds, I passed out, and I don't know where I went. And when I came back, I'm like, I don't even know, I don't know. And they're all talking about their experiences. I was like, ladies, I was, I, I left. I don't know where I went. I don't know what happened. I don't know if I fell asleep. But it was exactly what you needed. It's what I needed. I just told myself, look, every other session has been deep and meaningful. So if I made an intention and I ended up passing out, I must have just done some some unconscious work that right. I'm not ready to consciously understand yeah yeah I was or I took a nap I don't know I don't know (laughs) I don't know but it was hilarious for me because I was sitting we were in a room that had two twin beds and I was on the floor in between the two twin beds and it was like 30 seconds and neither of them were in the room like they (laughs) They were physically there they both left their bodies and I'm just sitting here going (gasps) where is everybody I didn't even hear the music for a lot of it yeah a lot of it and usually the music puts me in a tailspin of laughing crying in the beginning and I, I was just like I was just you like, were gone I was gone like, yeah hey, peace no, out. they were just... they were gone and so I had fun I had fun in, in the room <laughs> by myself with two bodies <laughs> yeah. two other bodies two empty bodies yeah, two yeah. empty bodies yeah. over there <laughs> it was fun yeah so what have you seen when you when you've seen people doing breath work and stuff so, like that in my experience We've healed a lot of really deep wounds, like sexual trauma, sexual abuse. Some of the hardest traumas to heal are done through breathing. And I've, I've worked with a lot of women who've had sexual traumas, and they don't want to necessarily talk about it. They don't want to go to therapy. They, don't, they just want it healed. And so this is a way to open up physically, psychically, emotionally, so that 
the pain can be accessed and they can release it. And they don't have to sit and talk about it and relive, relive that, it, yeah. yeah, re-traumatize themselves over and over and over. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with psychotherapy, it's fine, but there's some people for who that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So this is an alternative way to get deep into something, and again, particularly trauma. The thing I think about sh shaman work, a lot of people don't know what shamans are, and they just assume they're like someone wearing a loincloth running through the forest. Oh, yeah, that's for me. Berries. Yeah, that's Robbie. <laughs> she um, has like a, an animal skin. Yeah. People don't like understand what the term shaman means, but I believe, like, I think it's more like, you know, Albert Einstein said, you cannot fix a problem with the thing that created the problem. And I think psychotherapy you know they target the mind and the problem was made in the mind and they're just hanging out in the mind but shamanic healing work targets the mind the spirit the emotions and the body and we are made up of all those four things and unless you're completely cerebral and you live in your mind I, I, I just don't think for a lot of us psychotherapy is not enough it's just one piece of the puzzle and I, I'd rather go to a shaman who's gonna target all four of those the feeling the healing on all those different levels then go sit in a chair and talk for hours. Well, here's the other point, is that you had, in, both of you had implants, serious, dangerous, dark implants. Right, Psychotherapy Energy. would not touch those. Psychotherapy doesn't know how to touch those. Right. Yeah. So all right. the psychotherapy in the world wouldn't have solved your problem. Yeah, I would have still had that squid on my ass. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have still had those... My energy fields. But but it's interesting because I am a person who whose mind is very, very is too is very strong. Very strong. We'll just say it's very strong. I'm not gonna make a judgment of being too something, but it is very strong. And Robbie has introduced me to the two things that have really helped me to get around it because I always joke that like I've never met a therapist that I couldn't trick. Mm -hmm. You know exactly. what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. right. Because I could always yeah. be like, because I know what to say and I know what to do things. And, and my mind is always like, oh, no, no, I got this figured out. Like I, I usually will go if I ever go, if I ever do anything like that, I'm, I'm like I go into it and be like, I've already figured this out. And I'm just going to tell you how I figured it out. So I don't actually have to like put myself out there emotionally. But it's mental bypass. Right. It's totally exactly. mental bypass. And it's, so what's yeah. the point? If it's right. not going to solve your problem, all you're doing is proving how smart you are and you're paying for it. That's right. right. That's I, right. But the two things that have helped me a lot and both of it, which Robbie introduced me, Robbie did my first hypnotherapy session mm -hmm. and it was the first time that my mind was, I think I get in somewhere between like a light trance and, and fake somnambulance. Sometimes I can get all the way into like somnambulance, like the actual really, really deep hypnosis, but like even light trance, I am grateful as fuck to be able to have my mind be distracted yeah, by well, that of what's, of what's happening in that state. And that's even able to give me dramatic things. So the holotropic breathing and the hypnotherapy are two things that Robbie introduced right. me to that was helped me bypass my mind's guard system, my right. mind's to security get to the system. Point, yeah, yeah. Really. yeah, cause your mind is very strong. So for me, why I went into the shamanic training is because I knew I wanted to be a healer and I knew that it wouldn't be unless and until I looked at my own darkness and my own demons and was able to confront them and deal with them and walk through the middle of my own hell I wouldn't be able to do that for other clients and I knew because of the trauma work I'd been trained in I wouldn't be able to do that and so I was looking for a body of work that would help me stand strong in the midst of not only my demons, 
but someone else's. Yeah. And the only thing I could find was a shamanic work because that went so deep and it went into energy patterns and it went into all kinds of things that you're never going to find in other bodies of work. It, and it's, it's so old. Shamanism has been around since the beginning of time. And there are different schools of shamanism, but it allowed, personally for me, it allowed me to stand strong and do all of the trauma work I've done with sexually abused women and not get pulled into that wound because there are lots of women who have very deep wounds with a lot of sad stories and a lot of emotion. And it's tough to stand there at the edge of their pain and not get pulled into it like swimming in a deep pool. Right. And as long as I'm standing on the edge of the pool, I'm valuable. Once I fall into the pool, I'm lost. And my client is lost. Yeah. So the shamanic journey trained me to be able to stay in someone else, sit with someone else's pain and not move to fix it. But and in that, he, in, that, in that witnessing, it heals it. The witnessing and the asking questions and being present to someone else's pain and not moving away from it, being able to be present to that pain. Right, so it's the difference between being the rescuer Absolutely. And the coach. Right, right. Yeah, there is no rescuing. I can't I cannot rescue anyone. It's their decision to get out of their pain. You're the placebo. Right. And so You're... all I'm doing is asking questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So will you are you willing to tell us what like what lineage you went to with shamanism? Yes, absolutely. I I studied with an Apache shaman. Bless him, he's on the other side now. One of my favorite people, but he was an Apache shaman and he trained me in the Apache way and on my 40th, 40th birthday in my beloved New Mexico mountains, I was initiated as an Apache shaman. Yeah. If we, if we had an entire other episode, I would love for you to tell us some of the amazing stories you told us about your initiation. I would, if we have time at the end, I would love to, tell, okay. so to ask you about initiation. But yeah, so thank you for that. Anna, do you want to do your next one? Yeah, my next, the next valuable thing I learned from Robbie was when, you know, I was always into vision boards and manifesting, et cetera, et cetera, and I was like getting everything on my vision board. I remember my husband even got me the engagement ring on my vision board that he had never seen that I had made like five years prior. And everything was just lining up and I was getting everything I wanted and everything was awesome. And I've had a lot of guilt about it because I felt like it wasn't fair that all my dreams were coming true and my this or that person I knew it wasn't. And I was feeling guilt. Like, I don't know if people can experience it. I've heard that, like, some people, when they do financially better than their parents, they have, like, they have a guilt of, like, succeeding beyond their parents. It was something like that. It was, like, feeling this sense of guilt that I was getting everything on my vision board and I was everything I ever wanted was coming true and it wasn't happening for other people. And I told Robbie that I was... You know, I think you were congratulating me on our engagement, yeah, or or, or yeah. it was something else. I don't even know what it was, but you had congratulated me, and I was told you honestly. I was like, to be honest, Robbie, I'm feeling really guilty that all my dreams are coming true, and you pulled me aside and you said, never feel guilty because first of all, it's a low vibration, but don't ever feel mm-hmm. guilty for living your best life because mm-hmm. when you're living your best life, you are giving permission for others around you to live theirs. Exactly. And then you said, and you're feeding the morphogenic field of satisfied women. Because unfortunately, in the history of this planet, mm-hmm. we, there have not been that many you know, satis- fully women. satisfied women. Like if you go through the history books, and who do you think has been doing laundry for the last 5,000 years or whatever? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just 
you were you said I would feed into the morphogenic field of of satisfied women and the planet needs more of that. Does your audience know what a morphogenic field is? Oh, that's exactly what I was just about to ask. So sorry. So sorry. So you can go into more detail. So a morphogenic field, a morphogenic field is created by thoughts. Thoughts are electric and emotions are magnetic. So thoughts and emotions together create a morphogenic field. So morphogenic fields are created around, as an example, uh, a lot of emotion happens with baseball teams, football teams, basketball teams. There's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of superstition, there's beliefs, there, there are words uh, that pertain to that morphogenic field, like touchdown, or basket, or so there are like icons that pull on that correct. field, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that ping only like in that the, field. Like the- so there's a morphogenic field, and you can have negative morphogenic fields, you can have positive morphogenic fields, and a morphogenic field exists because of our thoughts and our emotions, mm-hmm. not just in the United States, but all over the world. I mean, that's how that's how energy works, is through morphogenic fields. And when a morphogenic field becomes saturated, meaning that hundreds of thousands of people have been feeding it over time, then it has, it turns on like a lighthouse and begins to broadcast. Mm-hmm. So when people feed a bad or a negative morphogenic field, they get swept up into that, like being fearful about something. Right. Or if you're feeding a positive morphogenic field like you, Anna, when you're living your best life and you're happy and proud of yourself and fulfilled, all of those emotions feed into the morphogenic field of women. And so other women can, can take your energy and your fulfillment and ride that to crest in their lives to become to create what it is that they want in their lives and become fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Eckhart Tolle, for anyone listening, calls it the pain body. He talks about it in The Power of Now. That's a morphogenic field. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and anybody who's heard the 99th monkey, it's this... I don't actually think it's a monkey. It's a 100th monkey. It's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's 99 monkeys, That's nine a movie monkeys. with Brad Pitt. Right. So the 100th monkey is this idea that you can have 99 monkeys learn how to use a tool in a specific way in Japan... And then over on the mainland, the 100th monkey knows how to use the same tool, even though they've never had any ancestors teach them. They've never had anyone teach them. The idea being that the morphogenic field has been filled with the understanding and intelligence of how to use that tool. The same could be said of calculus. The same could be said of DNA. The same could be said of all of these things that that basically came to being um, cosmic background radiation. Like there's so many different... The camera was invented on two different sides mm-hmm. of the globe mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that happens a lot in history. That mm-hmm. I'm totally rug making is another one. Yeah, totally different parts of the world. Unique inventions were created at the same time. Yep. I, I'm not going to say Marconi invented the radio because he definitely did not. But whoever did invented it. I, I cannot remember who the actual person is. I know it's not Marconi, but basically invented the radio at the exact same time in two different places so it's like mm-hmm. you know you, you have all these experiences in which there is a an idea that is a low-hanging fruit it almost becomes a low-hanging fruit in the creative consciousness which is what i call is like this this whole field that is full of ideas that are waiting to be realized and and so you're able to actually you're able to actually be able to pull on those ideas as in the 100th monkey because it's a saturated field field. and I think it's important for anyone listening if you are a member of a marginalized group like say you're a woman of color or you're you know trans or whatever just 
if you're happy, embrace it more because you're going to make more people like you mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. more uh, be able to access their own happiness easier because right. you're going to feed into that field. Do we have anything else on that one? Be happy. <laughs> be happy. That's be the happy. idea. Be Create happy. Create a life that you love and don't be afraid to shine. Yeah, I have, I have this story that is just. Yeah. I remember I went to this retreat center in North Carolina couple years back for my birthday with someone who was close to me. I, I think at the introduction, everyone was like, what is your intention? I said, I want to increase my tolerance for bliss, which is kind of an asshole thing to say when there's like everybody else in the group is like, I need to get over my abuse or I need to get over. I'm sitting over here in the corner being like, I'm just going to increase my tolerance for bliss. <laughs> the hilarious thing about that, and it was tragically hilarious, was that like, the person I was with then went through an utterly life-changing experience and basically the whole weekend no longer became about like your bliss my bliss it became about processing major shadow with somebody else oh, and I remember that yeah and so for me like I was always just like I need to be a little bit more humble when it comes to like I like I can totally enjoy my bliss for my own person but I don't need to like flaunt it Maybe, maybe that's wrong. Maybe that's wrong. I don't know. Maybe I'll have different thoughts, but I don't know if that was the lesson. I don't know. Ah, who knows if it was a lesson, right? But, (laughs) but yeah. All right. So the next one I would love to talk to you about, Robbie, was this one session that we had together, which, in which I evoked the lightning. Do you remember that one? Oh yeah. Yeah. I do remember. Yeah. It was, it was gnarly. It was cool. But in that session, I was struggling with power. I was struggling with power and being afraid that I was going to cr- become corrupt if I ever actually maintained right. my full power. It's something that I, I will admit that I sometimes do still kind of struggle with a little bit. This is number four of the things. This that- is number four. And number four is that you create contracts that you are then allowed to break. And so for me, in this section, in this, in this session with Robbie, we were... I was I was in a place where I came to Robbie and I loved it. I love I don't know if you remember this, but it was so great because we were sitting there in front of each other. We were sitting there talking to each other, and Robbie was like, "Okay, what 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 do you need?" And I was like, "I just wanna." I was like, "I just wanna go even higher than I already am right now." So I was just like, "I really just wanna like." fucking go into the ethers and I want to just be like this superpower woman, wonder woman. And you're like, that's amazing. Let's do some quantum leaps. I'm all about it. Let's not, I'm not going to pull you out of the mire. I'm not going to pull you out of the muck today. Let's quantum leap. And it was awesome. <laughs> and it was pouring rain. It was pouring mm-hmm. rain or it started pouring rain in the middle of this because this, in this session, what I found, what Robbie helped me find was that I had in a past life, gone and done some witchcraft which had started a storm which had then flooded a town and killed many people and I've always had a bit of control over the rain like my dad used to joke with me because I as a kid there would be droughts for months when I was gone and as soon as I came home it would start raining and even tonight we were on the way to the restaurant and you asked the rain to stop so we could get out of our car and not get wet and it did happen yeah Yeah, so I've always had like a a crazy storm rain magic. And and this storm, because the past life was about bringing up a storm and killing all these people, 
And right when we were in the middle of like me really going and regressing back into the state, like there was this massive yeah. lightning strike yeah. that just like filled shook the up, house. shook the house. Yeah. It was just like, it was, it was really intense. But in that session, you led me to a contract that I had made after that life because I, you were afraid of your power. I was. I was. And you were afraid that you, if you came into another life with that amount of power, you would misuse it again. So you had created a contract where you would never have power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Robbie helped me break that. We did? Yeah. yeah. So, so maybe... So the lesson wasn't... It, so I understand you wanting to limit your power. Yeah. But then you had learned between that lifetime and now, you had become a lot more responsible around your power. And so what you wanted to do was create power around your level of responsibility. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did, is release it. So she'd made this contract, but she'd outgrown the contract. So you had the reins on you, the tight reins, that weren't allowing you to have the power that you needed to be in this lifetime. So we just went back and we reconfigured the contract so that we could release that. And if you wanted to make a different contract, you could. But you couldn't. Until you'd create, until you had released the vows for that particular time period. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's a fascinating thing. Since then, I've worked with I've worked with clients myself and done a lot of, of work on recognizing that a lot of people have soul contracts with other people. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have made soul contracts with themselves. I feel like the one that I made was similar to what someone's called a cosmic cop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 A cos- it's a self-limiting. Yes. Yeah, it's a regulator. It's basically a regulator on your system, and any time that you go into something that you've maybe royally fucked up, and the you know you flooded a town because you you know and were you having killed too much, people. killed people because you're having too much fun making rain, <laughs> you know. Oops. Yeah, like after those things, like that's there. There are karmic consequences to things, and there are times in which we say, okay, now we have to okay. I learned that lesson and I learned how to have the most power that's completely unreined and now I need to kind of do some other things in the process. Learn my lesson, learn the responsibility because with great power comes great responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I've lived many lifetimes as a nun, as a priest, as a monk. And so for me, I took the vow of silence. What the hell was I think? I took the vow of silence. I could never write. I always, you know, those books I wrote, I always wanted to write these books. Never could do it. It never happened. No matter how much I tried, it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And then the vow of silence, the vow of poverty, something else. I can't remember the third one, but there were three big ones that I had taken. you gave it up? Well, and then I finally... Chastity? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Vow... Vow of silence, vow of poverty, I can't remember. Anyway, but I worked with a friend of mine who helped me release those, and then the three books came. Yeah. Wow. Wow. But I felt as we were doing this, all energetic, I felt this harness on me snap. When I said, I released the vows that I made around, not chastity, (laughs) (laughs) around poverty and silence, I actually felt energetically felt the harness snap. Wow. I love it. And that was like, wow. And then she said, my friend said to me, make sure that you bless and release those vows. Because if you don't, if you're not grateful for those vows, they're not, they'll come back. Mm -hmm. But if you completely bless and release those vows, you've let them go. And you're energetically clean. Yeah. Yeah. In In the Bible, there's like a, 
thing called the Jubilee, which is like every 50 years, all land contracts are forgiven, something like that. But it kind, it's kind of nice to think like every 50 years or every seven years to just be like, you know, I want to renounce any self-limiting vows mm -hmm. I've taken mm -hmm. without mm -hmm. even realizing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we've outgrown stuff. And the thing is, is that like, I would like to think that between lives, you're like, I'm gonna go clean house. What do I not need in this life? But a lot of the time, you need a human body in order to be able That's to right. break the vow. Mm -hmm. Well, apparently, I've been carrying these vows for lifetimes. Yeah. yeah. What was I thinking? And that's what I said to my friend. I said, what was I thinking when I made those vows? She said, well, when you made these vows, you were in a monastic lifestyle. And that really meant a lot to you. And you made these vows with great passion. And so the vows that you make with great passion and great intensity will stick they forever. They resonate for so yeah. many lives. Yeah. Ooh, I need to go figure out if I have any of these. Uh, well, but the thing is, is that, you know, I'm, I'm curious as to what you think, Robbie, in terms of, like, why is it that we can't clean house unless we're in a human body? Because we're here to learn, right? Uh, well, and I think that we made those promises in a human body. Right. So I think that it's probable, it's possible to release them when you're between lifetimes, but I think there's something that has to do with coming in to make that vow in a body. You got to come in to release it in a body. What's done in a human body needs to be released in a human right. body. It's like you can't. It's, it's like you can't even. <laughs> you can't pick up the eraser if you can't actually have a hand to pick up the eraser with or something right. like you that. You know, right? it could be possible. I don't know, but as as far as I know. I have not been able to release those vows between lifetimes. The only time I was able to release those really strong vows is in a body. But maybe that's just part of our life lesson. Like if we're here to ha learn, maybe that's the whole thing. Like when you're out of the body, you know everything anyways, and you don't, you know, you don't need any of the, of the vows. Yeah. So it's being back in the body and having that aha moment of releasing the vow that the beauty and the learning comes in. Well, I've taken several vows, Native American vows, this lifetime, and I put a kill switch on it. Like oh, when I did? die, yes. <laughs> when I die, I am killing all those vows. Oh, they it. are rendered useless. When this body goes, I'm going to be a party animal. The yeah, next one. Yeah. When this body goes, the vows are over. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I really. That's a great yeah, idea. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It is a, a self-destructing time. Kill pump. switch a kill on switch. the vows. I love yeah. it. Kill switch on the vows. Oh, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. And I'm not carrying anything. Yeah. And and one of the things I love about the work with the contracts too is that like. Some of y'all may be being like, how do you even access this? What does it look like? What does it feel like to do this? And when I've done it with people, it's been like, you literally imagine a piece of paper mm -hmm. and, you, and, and sometimes you can read it. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I've even gotten in a state where I'm able to read what's on it and I just know, I mean, I, you just kind of know what's written on it mm -hmm. and then you can just be like, I always think of the Little Mermaid, that scene where she's like, you know, she's signing, like signing her name and her, her eyes her are voice. closed and she's trying to be like... Yeah, <laughs> Ursula's contract. And, and that's how I kind of imagine the first signing of it. And then I just imagine it being destroyed like, later on. I think if someone's listening and they feel like they have self-limiting habits that keep creeping up on them, that might be an indication that they have it. A contract, yeah. Like if, they, yeah. like if they're like, no matter what, they keep being poor like they get a better job and their car breaks down and then this happens and then they lose you know it's like if you keep finding yourself poor even though you've made all of these you know that you maybe you made a vow of poverty yeah 
That could be. That could be. Or and if you're impotent, maybe you made a vow of celibacy. <laughs> that could be. But or the other thing that the other thing that to look at is if you you have these self-limiting aspects, how much capacity for abundance do you have? It could be that their capacity for abundance is really small. And a meditation to expand or working every night or every day to expand that capacity for abundance, it could be a, you know, a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But it's really helpful to expand your capacity for whatever it is you want in your life. Because mm -hmm. if you don't have that energetically, if you don't have the capacity to hold it, it's not going to come. Or you can, do, you can get the lotto. You can get a lotto ticket and win it, but you'll lose it. Right. Because you don't have the capacity to right. hold that so, abundance. So maybe a good mantra or prayer would be, you know, I open myself up to more, you know, financial abundance or bliss. And in doing so, I release any contracts that are keeping me from that. Yeah. Something like that. Yep. You yeah. had a nice way of putting it, though. You said, like, through time, through space. Oh, through all planes and layers of existence with ease and grace for the best and highest good. Yeah. Because we exist in many dimensions. And so if you're fixing something in this dimension, but there are aspects of you in multiple dimensions, you need to fix it through all those dimensions. Through all the multiverses. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And so yeah. whenever I'm working with a client, whatever I'm helping to heal is always healed through the multiple dimensions in which they exist. Do they or have to pay you in those other dimensions? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't learned how to charge them in those dimensions, so no. no. I love Getting that. a direct deposit from yeah, the yeah. five parallel yeah. universes over there. And that's one of the things yeah. I love is all your stories about the different dimensions that you've had. Because I think, Robbie, you were one of the, and, and this is a side, this is like a little side thing that from my, I feel like you were the first person who helped me realize I was a multidimensional being in a lot of ways, right? And like being like, cause like, well, I'll be walking through a house and all of a sudden there's a person in the corner and there's not a person in the corner, but then all of a sudden like the furniture's moved around and all of a sudden like, and I'm just like, fuck, like what house am I in right now? And I have to like ground myself in it. And I feel like you've done a really good job of teaching me. If there's anybody out there who's like that. Well, Which because of, I have my practice in the house. And so because people come to see me in the house, I have energy grids set up to facilitate a multiverse. And in addition to that, one of my teachers said, I am not in a position, the collective unconscious has gotten really busy. And I'm not in a position where I can put a portal in my home. Would you have a portal in your home? Or would you have it in your backyard? And a portal is an opening. It's a dimensional opening that allows souls to go from from one dimension to another. And I said, yeah, we can put it in my yard, but I want it to go one way. I don't want strange creatures crawling in my backyard <laughs> right. from other dimensions. And I want it to deliver the soul that goes into that portal. I want them to be delivered to their most resonant frequency, meaning I want them to go to the existence that is most comfortable for them, where they can continue their journey. And he said, okay, fine. So he put- Who was he, it? Your teacher? Oh, yeah. your teacher. He opened up a portal in my backyard, and as soon as he said, okay, you've got to be sure that you want this portal, and I said, yeah, it's okay, and he said, now, because as, as, as soon as you say yes, and we open that portal, you will have a multitude of spirits in your house. I said, yeah, okay, and I was up in my office, and it was wintertime, everything was closed, and the door slammed, wham! I said, yeah, okay, they're here, they're here. And he said, it's going to be busy for a while. <laughs> and it was all kinds of souls and spirits coming through the house to move into the portal. And so because of that, because, it's a mul because it exists in a multiverse, 
what happens is sometimes people will come out and say, they'll, they'll be in the bathroom and come out and say, your walls move. Yeah, I know. The walls of the house move. Or the floor buckles and vibrates. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> right? Didn't you say you once came home to people in your garage? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A whole family. A whole family. Yeah. That they, it was a mom, a dad, a, a daughter and a son and a dog. And they had a- they yeah. died in a car accident. And they were wet, yeah. And I lifted the garage door, and they were standing there. And at first I thought, how did these people get in my garage? And I'm looking at them, and they were dressed from the 1940s, and they were dripping wet. And I thought, oh, I know what you are. Your spirit's coming. You're looking for the portal. So I telepathically said to the dad, are you looking for the portal? And he said, yes. And I said, what did, how did you die? He showed me they were in a truck, and something happened on a bridge, and the truck went over. The mm-hmm. kids were in the back, the mom and dad were in the cab, and the whole thing went over. And I said, are, are, have, you been, have you been looking for a way over? They said, yeah. I said, yeah, okay, come on. And they went, all four of them so went up into 70 the, years they were looking for that portal. Yeah. Wow. So now I don't have to, I don't have to guide anyone. They've, it's been there long enough where they find it themselves and just go through. Oh yeah. No, I, I when we sit in your living room, it's like Ooh. fucking Grand Central Station yeah. behind you, in front of the fireplace. It's just it like is, yes. people yes, just going is. through all the time. And if you, and for me, I see things out of my peripheral vision. Yeah. I usually don't see them when I'm looking straight on. But like, I start looking at Robbie, and it's like, okay, they're all just passing in front of me, and it's it's definitely a crazy situation. But yeah, so it's would, busy. Would you say deja vu was an example of dimension hopping? Or no? May, maybe crossing timelines. Okay. Maybe crossing time. Yeah, yeah, because you like it's just a little bit different. It's mm-hmm. like it's like the timing mm-hmm. is a little bit different in a different timeline. Um, so, did your audience know what a timeline is? Crossing timelines. You should you should explain it. Okay, so crossing timelines means that you evolve. You are in a multiverse, and when you and, and another version of you come together for an instant. So, an example of that is I was coming down the stairs. I was alone coming down the stairs in the morning and I was raising the blinds. And as I was walking across my floor, I felt a heavy skirt on my legs. And I know, when something like that happens, I know that I've crossed a timeline, that I'm merging with someone else, another version of me in some other timeline. Because you weren't wearing a skirt. No, I was wearing yoga pants and a sweater. It was a a sweatshirt, it was cold, it was wintertime. So I'm, I'm at the window and I'm going to reach up to, to draw the blinds up and I feel that skirt and I stop and I said, okay, what else do I hear? I heard music, I could smell incense. I could hear the click, click, click of feet on uh, stone? a stone floor, thank mm-hmm. you, on a stone floor. And I, I was aware of arches and stained glass. And then I reached up and touched around my chest and I could feel a wimple. You know what that is, the, the, what nuns wear? That's mm. the white cloth they wear around their face and around the yeah so I could feel the wimple and that was it and then it was over it took a couple of seconds but when I was in that I was scanning like what do I know what do I see what can I pick up like how much can I absorb from this timeline merging with someone else and then I I spoke to my teacher about that and I said what was that he said it's another version of you that was a 14th century nun and you and she are learning you're on the same timeline and for whatever reason you came together for an instant she was as aware of you as you were yeah that happened to me once too what happened well 
It happened multiple times in about a week. It was after I visited your teacher. Mm. I kept having one, and this will sound crazy, but I kept having a shared timeline with an alien on another planet. And her and I, I don't know if she's me. I think she's me in another version. Yeah, she's another She's another part. She's me, but her and I were living similar life stories, but her and her planet and me here. And I would catch glimpses of her, and I'd walk, I'd be walking, and I'd look down, and I would just see, like, tentacles because she moved in a different way than we moved here. And it was dark there. And mm. I think that, that wherever she lived, they didn't communicate with words like we do here. It was more like, I think more like the way bats communicate with echolocation. Oh, wow. So her sense organs were completely different than my sense organs on Earth. So it was really hard to put into words. Mm-hmm. But I would simultaneously feel like I was in her kitchen. Mm-hmm. What would be a kitchen on that planet? Mm-hmm. You know, preparing something for her family. But it was like... Nothing was the same, like vision, touch, feel. Like it was all different, but I could just have this parallel feeling of being aware of her and she was aware of me. And it was like we were, you know, two ships in the night crossing and dancing. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, hello. And, you know, and I believe she taught me something that she, and then I taught her something, which I don't want to say on the show because that's even more out there maybe just yet. But I feel like we kept doing that to share. And I shared with her some information about the earth and she shared with me some information from her planet that was very useful to me. That's emerging timeline right there. And we were just, it was like we were just in communication for Mm -hmm. a little bit of time and I felt like she was me and I was her, but I looked different, so different. Have you ever had that again or just that one time? Um, Actually, I've had it one one more time since where, well, like, for example, this morning I was walking and I suddenly felt like my legs were very light and I looked down and I just saw tentacles floating. Mm. That's how today? she moves. That today? Yeah, that's how she moves. So I felt like for a second I glimpsed her through me. That's interesting awesome. that it happened today. Yeah. 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 Well, it always happens around people like Robbie or her <laughs> teacher. Has that, have you ever merged timelines? I think I I have a couple of different times, yeah. I nothing as distinct as, as, as either of those situations, but I've definitely felt I've definitely looked in the mirror and usually when I look in the mirror I'm able to merge with a different type or a different person. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I do know is that I have a lot of clients who will ask me when something is going to happen and I basically refuse to answer that question because of the timelines. Right. Because right. the way I see it is is that there are all of these different possibilities. You're on a current timeline and in that current timeline there are a number of different forks in the road of what can happen. Like you can you can and your mind your frame of mind is heavily is going to heavily influence your decisions. Your decisions right. that's going to get you into a certain timeline. So there could be a timeline that is a 90% probability, but it could be a range of times that happen within it because, like, a lot of the times, if you say to someone that something's going to happen, it doesn't actually happen because then they think that it's already going to happen. Does that make sense? Like, it becomes a self fulfilling, a non self fulfilling prophecy. Right. You know, like, it's like, oh, you're going to meet somebody in December. And they're like, oh, great, I don't have to do anything. Right. I'm going to meet somebody in December. And it's like if you tell them that, then all of a sudden... They're not going to do the things that would have led them to meet right. that person. Right, exactly. They're going to stop the search. And in stopping the search or in stopping the frame of mind as if it is, then then it's, it's why it's, to me, you need to be very, very careful with what information you give if you are psychic, but also what you ask for 
recognizing that if it's going to change your behavior, then then it may not happen anyway, right. and then right. you're going to kind of think and, it's a joke. And right? also keep in mind, if a psychic is giving you a reading, they're seeing one of many potential right. outcomes, and they usually right. hone in on the one that happens like 60% of the time. Like 60% of the times in your life you ended up marrying Bob. And then 30% of your lives, of, the, of your multiverses, you married George. And then, you know what I mean? But the point is, they're, they're going to see one of the potential. So then when they tell you something, it doesn't end up happening. You think, oh, that psychic was wrong. She doesn't really know the future. Well, it's possible she was just tapping into one of the potentials that didn't actually end up happening. Well, yeah. here's the other thing. A psychic can only read in their vibration. And so I've worked with other people where I've seen very clearly one particular timeline and someone else, another psychic, will be sitting next mm-hmm. to me and see a completely different yes. timeline. And the reason being is because we're not wrong. All we can see is the timeline that our system is destined to see. Right. Like my configuration, I can only read in my configuration. Right. And every psychic only has their configuration. No matter how good you are, you can only read in your configuration, period. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I remember I remember one time we did a two-chair thing, the double chair thing. It was one of the sessions that we did. And in one chair, I was my small self, and in and the other chair was my higher self. And my small self was like, why have I had to have so much shit happen in my life? And my high self said, you needed the codes. Like if you didn't have the codes for all this trauma and shit, you would not be able to help people with all this trauma right. and shit. And I was like, oh fuck, okay, oh, I get it now. <laughs> like I get you it You had now. to be able to stand in your own darkness. Yeah. So that you could stand and, and facilitate other people and not be afraid or not be overwhelmed or not be swept up by their pain. Right. And every single person I work with is always a person who has resonated in a frequency that I have seen. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I have seen all, like I have seen or I will see. I actually have noticed that as well. Like I've noticed that sometimes my clients are pulling on something that's going to happen to me 10 years from now, but I'm still able to pull from it because I'm usually collapsing the time. Like I'm using collapsing time. But you're resonant with, with that client and that's why you're seeing it. Yeah. It's because you're in a resonant frequency and they're in alignment with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So fascinating. But that's what sometimes people come and they say, okay, read for me. And I'll open up my reading screen and there's nothing. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what happened? What do you mean your reading screen? My psychic reading screen. Oh, oh, oh. I'll open it up and there's nothing. And I'm like, wow, what is happening? We're not resonant. Mm. There's no resonance. And so when there's someone who's completely out of my field, it's really hard to read because I'm... You get no codes. Yeah, yeah. The energy's just not there. Right. What do you do in that situation? Do you usually tell them? Yeah, like nothing's coming. We, you know, let's go to table work or let's do something. You know, what else are we? What else? Let, let's uh, let's look at this problem from a different way. Because my psychic, the psychic awareness is just not there. Yeah. Mm. Very, so sometimes very if we go to the table, then when I've got hands on them, and I've got my hands deep into their aura, then I can feel, you know, then the, the information comes in a different way. Yeah. It comes kinesthetically instead of psychically through my, my psychic reading channels. I've definitely had that happen mm-hmm. as well. Like, mm-hmm. right, yeah, you have to, it's almost like, or they have to ask a question. And if they ask a question, then all of a sudden it can, it can like. Or like I'll say, yeah, at least ask me a question or they'll, they'll start talking about something or I'll say talk for a while. And it's like. I, I liken it to being a different be, difference between a helicopter and a plane. A helicopter can take off directly straight up from the helipad and doesn't need a runway. And so when I'm in resonance with a client, 
I'm the helicopter. I can take right off. I'm seeing exactly what's going on. Yeah. I'm reading the energy. The energy is coming in. It's flowing. Great session. But when I, I'm not in resonance with a client, I need a runway. Mm-hmm. And so That's a great the runway is like, okay, tell me more about this problem or tell me more about... And if I get them talking some, then it's like, okay, I just saw it. It's a heart problem. It's the person has a heart valve, la, la, la. You know, then I can see it. Mm-hmm. But if... But if we're, we don't have a strong resonance, I need that runway. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've been in practice long enough to know that if I'm not getting something, I'll either try the runway or we'll maneuver around to where we get to where we need to go mm-hmm. through other methods. Yeah. But it, there have been some panicked sessions. <laughs> oh my God, there's nothing coming. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. We still have to do number five. All right. Number five. Number five lesson from my shaman is that singing about your problems can help make you laugh and shatter your ego and uplift your heart. So you want to tell us about the singing? So, yes. So, again, a morphogenic field. When you are stuck in a morphogenic field, it's hard to shift your perspective. So you're looking at the viewfinder, and what you're looking at is like, oh, this is never going to shift. It's never going to be different. I'm always going to have this problem. So shifting how you find it. If you are judging yourself or you're condemning yourself, you're not doing yourself any favors in in shifting this problem. So if you can get just a little bit of amusement around your problem, it unlocks the viewfinder and you can shift the viewfinder a little bit to shift how you look at things. Mm -hmm. And so if you can inject amusement like making fun of yourself or dancing and making up a silly song about just how bad you are with this particular problem, there's a little bit of amusement and then there's movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when there's movement, then it's like, okay, let me see it differently and then I can push through to a different outcome. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. What's your, uh, what's your favorite, what's your favorite one, Anna, that you well, do? Well, when Robbie first told us about this work at that time, I think it was about five years ago, was our first woman, wild woman weekend. And mine was, I love to complain. I love to <laughs> suffer. And she made me run around the house singing it. And it was so funny because, first of all, you start laughing because you're like, this is just ridiculous. Like, my ego is so ridiculous. And then I remember like later on that week, my husband forgot to p- take out the trash, which when he did, I usually got like pissed. Like, you forget to take out the trash. You know, I'm foaming at the mouth, you know, and I'm, you know, cussing him out under my breath as I'm pushing the trash to the curb. And I was about to do it after our, our weekend. And then I was like, I love to suffer. I love to complain. Poor me pushing the trash. And by the time I got the trash to the curb, I was so laughing so hysterically that I came into the house just in the best freaking mood because yeah. I was just like, this is just so funny. Like You the, shifted it. The funny, the, the shit that we do to ourselves. Yeah. And it was just... Like that song, like I caught myself probably a few more times, you know, wanting to roll and suffering and complaining and I just turned it into a song and it just became a joke. Yeah. I, one of my favorite lines is from an Indigo Girls song and it says, the best thing you ever did for me was to help me take my life less seriously. Mm -hmm. Right. Humor shifts all the shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like it just does. And it's like you know what, when you're in the drama triangle, when you're deep in one of your wounds, when you're in all, all those things, it can feel so hard and overwhelming. So overwhelming. Uh-huh. Yep. And so, there's no way out. And so, what it feels like. Yeah. And the first thing to do is to shift it. See what you can do to shift it. Yep. And laughing is one of the best ways of doing that. 
Yeah. I have a good quote from Osho, and I feel like this sums up the whole singing about your problem thing. Nothing kills the ego like playfulness, like laughter. When you start taking life as fun, the ego has to die. It cannot exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Can you t- just tell us the story, the, the, the funny story about the gold I digger? I grow it, yeah. So I had a client, and she was going through divorce, and her husband was rather wealthy, and he would complain every time they had children, and so he needed to pay alimony, and every time he needed to pay her, he would tell her she was a money-grubbing gold digger, and she'd come to me and say, but I'm not a money-grubbing gold digger. He, he's supposed to pay alimony, and it would really just hurt her heart that he thought she was a money-grubbing gold digger. So I said, okay, let's look at this. So in your whole life, has there ever been a moment when you even approached being maybe a a money-grubbing gold digger. She said, "Uh, I don't know, maybe. Like, okay, okay. So there's maybe one moment in your life where you're a money-grubbing gold digger. She goes like, okay, for argument's sake, yeah, let's say what you are. Let's say I am a money-grubbing gold digger. I said, okay. So in that one moment, can you take that and celebrate that about yourself? She's like, what? How would that work? I'm like, okay, you need to make up a song about being a money-grubbing gold digger, and you've got to make a dance to go with it. <laughs> so this was in a group situation with lots of other women. And I said, get up here and do your dance. Do your song. And she said, I don't know what kind of song to sing. I said, okay, let me help you. You're a money-grubbing gold digger, money-grubbing gold digger, money-grubbing, money-grubbing, money-grubbing gold digger. And then I said, and now you have to shake your hips to it. You've got to torque and shake your hips and come up here and dance about being a money-grubbing gold digger. She's like, that's ridiculous. That's the point. Get up here. So she got up, and then as she's starting to do her money-grubbing gold digger dance, I said, everybody, up, we're dancing. Come on, it's a party. So the whole group got up, and they were all doing money-grubbing gold digger dance. And so that completely shifted it for her. So the next time she had an attorney, she had a meeting with her attorney and her husband, and he looks at her and says, you're a money-grubbing gold digger. She said, yes, I am, and I celebrate that about myself. <laughs> <laughs> so that is, that's the money-grubbing gold digger story. I love it. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. So I just want to do a really quick bonus. I want, can you give me any insights about initiation and how people can understand that they are going through a period of initiation? Because I feel like you've been through a lot of initiations, yes, and any time that I've been through one, sometimes I don't even realize that I am. But mm-hmm. you're just like you'll just be like, Christina, you're getting a download, <laughs> you get, or you're, or this is your initiation. Like this is your initiation. Yeah. You're an initiation phase, and so like, can you give us any insight about how I think people there's know a difference that in between there? an initiation mm-hmm. and like an upgrade? Yeah, I think there's a difference. Uh-huh. So for me, I've like you said, I've been through many ceremonies, many initiations. And for me, an initiation is something that I have looked at and said, I want the training that will get me to this level. Yeah. And so an initiation tends to mean a level of study. And usually it's either metaphysical study or the Native American initiations or something that you go through, that you plan for yourself. This is my experience. I plan it for myself. I do the study. I do the work. And then there's either a tribe of people or a group of people who will help me get to that point where I'm able to say, okay, I need the initiation or I've I've done the work to get to the initiation. And it's actually stepping through a portal to another level of being, a level of awareness. And that happens also with upgrades. So an upgrade is 
when you're working through your life, doing your life, and you don't ask for it, it just happens. So an initiation is conscious, mm -hmm. an upgrade is more unconscious. Okay. It's an unconscious where spirit gives it to you, mm -hmm. you know, and says, okay, this is your next body of work. You don't necessarily ask for it, for it or you asked for it in your life plan, but you didn't ask for it in the moment. Okay. So an initiation is planned and more deliberate and has a lot of ceremony. An upgrade is very similar in that you're working towards something, but spirit has come and tapped you on the shoulder and said, okay, this is your new workbook. This is what you're doing. <laughs> and these are all of the challenges that you're going to face in this next period of your life. And, and, and um, what, what, what's an initiation feel like? Kind of, if you could, like, if someone, how would someone know that that's what they're going through? Or an upgrade. I wouldn't call it an initiation if they didn't know. Oh, 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 So I an initiation see. is more conscious. It's like they're saying, okay, I want to open myself up to, you know, being more loving and kind. Show, show me how to do that. What lessons do I need to learn to learn that? Or what, what would, what's like a palpable example of an initiation someone would take? Okay, so for me, I went through five years of study with my Apache shaman, and at the end of it, he said, okay, you've done enough training but an initiation is like, you have to prove to me that you've done the work, that you can stand in somebody else's pain. So like, just because you've done the work doesn't mean that you can do it. You have to prove to me that you can do it. So what does it mean when Chris calls you and is like, what's going on here? And you're like, it's an initiation, but she didn't know. Well, that's, that's probably an upgrade. An upgrade. That's oh, an upgrade. Yeah. That's a difference. Uh, okay. An initiation is way more formal and, and usually involves a ceremony of some kind, like where you prove that you can do whatever the work is okay and an upgrade is where she didn't ask for it but it's in front of her it's like the universe going right this is your workbook you said back when you created this body you said you wanted to do this yeah. so here's your workbook yep and i was i was just talking this morning we were sitting by the lake and i was like Robbie, are there any upgrades that don't involve either hospital visits or some sort of like <laughs> bodily pain headaches? I've been getting headaches for the last two months, and I'm just like, fuck this upgrade. God damn it. Well, that's <laughs> no, I don't actually I think that's do ascension that. stuff. Yeah. Which is also an upgrade. Right. right. No. So ascension stuff is definitely an upgrade. And yep. for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, wait, can you explain ascension symptoms? So, in a nutshell, we are all ascending because the earth is ascending. Mm -hmm. Because we live on the earth, the energies and the frequencies that surround the earth are shifting. And so that puts pressure on us unconsciously to align ourselves to the shifting of the earth. How's that? That's yeah. great. And some symptoms could be fatigue or headache. Not sleeping, not sleeping well. Not um, eating, not, not having yeah. an appetite. Yeah, tired all the time, headaches, uh, muscle aches, knee pain, shoulder pain, you name it. Like, there's a whole list of ascension symptoms. Yeah. And what that is, it's they're, they're growing pains. Yeah. I definitely understand that. All right. Well, thank you, Robbie, so much. Do you have any final thoughts for us before I we sign I am honored off? to be here. Thank you so much for including me on your channel, ladies. This has been a real thank pleasure. You thank coming. you for coming. Thanks for being such a meaningful mentor to us my pleasure my pleasure yeah. thanks for being wild women with me <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of this spiritual fix we hope that you enjoyed it please please give us a review on itunes it helps people find us and remember humility gratitude acceptance done
Hey there, Christina Wiltsy here. Did y'all know that I am also a psychic intuitive healer? Yes, I hold sessions with people, which you can book on my website at chriswiltsy.com. In these sessions, we cover anything from breaking old contracts to traveling to other dimensions to doing whatever really fits your soul at that moment and makes it grow to the next level. Or if you prefer a little something different, I have a Patreon page. And if you become one of my patrons, you get an energetic release every single day. That's right, every single day. So if you want to learn more or you're interested, go to my website, chriswiltsy.com. Thanks so much and enjoy the rest of the episode. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.